0: Alright, now as they're heading back, our scripture reading today will be Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 5, verse 2. So that's Hebrews chapter 4, uh, 14 through 5, 2. Um, if you have a Bible, or maybe you have a Bible on your phone, I'd encourage you to just follow along there. Uh, but otherwise, it's going to be up on the screen for you to see as well. Now, as you are able... Would you please stand with me in recognition of God's authoritative word? This is Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 2. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. This is God's word. You may be seated. Morning, everyone. If we haven't met before,
1: my name is Paul, and it's it's good to be with you guys this morning. My wife Kate and I and our, our four boys typically occupy the the back corner of the gym. Maybe you've seen us back there before. But uh, live in Champaign, lead a small group there, and it's it's really an honor to be able to, to unpack Hebrews for you this morning. Uh, if you're new to to church today, if you're visiting this morning, or maybe you're like my family and you've been knocked out with with sickness for the past couple of weeks, let me. Catch us up to speed on our sermon series that we're currently in. This is the the third week of our Advent sermon series, and uh, in this series, we're really taking a hard look at this idea of the incarnation. That is the truth that that God took on flesh; He took on humanity in the person of Jesus, and to sort of examine this high level theological idea of the incarnation. We're kind of we're taking a look at three distinct uh, aspects of Jesus's life, kind of three portraits of Jesus's incarnation. Last week, Dan addressed the incarnation by, by looking at Jesus's birth. And next week, Shannon's going to take a look at the incarnation by taking a look at Jesus's death. And this week, we're sort of looking at the the in between. We're thinking about Jesus' incarnation in terms of his temptations, his trials, his testing here on earth. And perhaps it it strikes you as um, a little unique or unorthodox to think about Jesus' temptation in an Advent series. But I I think it's wise and it's appropriate for us. As I was um, preparing this week, as I was considering this text, I was thinking about sort of the, the church calendar that we find ourselves uh, in here in North America. And, you know, there's two significant moments in our church calendar. We have Christmas and we have Easter. Christmas, of course, we we celebrate Jesus' birth. Easter, we we set aside time to to think about Jesus' death and his resurrection. But we don't really have a, a day or a season to consider Jesus' life, to consider his temptation and his trials. Perhaps if you come from a Catholic heritage, you you know, Lent is something that is significant to you, but it's not really something that is a focal point in our church tradition. So I think today is is perhaps an opportunity for us to to consider an overlooked and underappreciated aspect of the Incarnation. Yes, Jesus came to us as a baby in the manger. Yes, he came to us as a Savior on the cross. Those are two important portraits of his life. But he also came to us as a man who was tempted. He also came to us as a man who was acquainted with suffering and hardship. A man who who had a very human existence. So that's what we're going to consider today, his temptation, his, his testing. Excited to dig into the text, but before I do so, let me ask God for help one more time. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us Eyes to see and ears to hear uh, what you have to say to us from Hebrews 4 this morning. Help us to see our high priest. Help us to see our king, fully God, fully man. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As Tyler read a, a moment ago, our, our passage today comes from Hebrews chapter four and you know a lot of things could be said about these five verses, but today we're really just going to look look at the text through the lens, of Christ's temptation and suffering. And our outline today is, is fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple. I'm going to set out to answer two primary questions. The first question I'll answer, what was Jesus's temptation like? That is, what was the nature of his temptation? And then the, the second question I want to address this morning is why does it matter? What, what difference does Jesus's temptation make for us? So, what was Jesus' temptation like, and then why does it matter? Let's take up that, that first question. What was his temptation like? Yes. Test one, two. Good? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's take a look at, at verse 15 again. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The temptation that Jesus experienced in his incarnation was just like the temptation that every other human being has experienced. In every respect, the text says, he has been tempted like us. And it's important to note here that the word uh, tempted in the text, it can also be rendered as a testing or a suffering. So it definitely applies, you know, specifically to what we might think of as temptation, but it's also broader and more comprehensive. It's talking about all of Jesus's trials, all of his weaknesses that he endured. A couple chapters earlier in Hebrews 2, the author is making a similar point, and he refers to it as the sufferings that Christ experienced as he was tempted. So the author has in mind here a a tempting, a a trying, a a testing of Christ. And what what Hebrews is telling us is that in Christ, we have one who in every respect has suffered like we have. We have one who in every respect has been tested like us. And I think now is a good moment to, to really pause And to press hard at that phrase, in every respect. Has Jesus really been tested? Has he really been tempted in every way, in every respect that we have? I think the the answer from scriptures, uh, and especially from the picture of Jesus in the gospel accounts, is that yes, Jesus really has been tempted like we are. Gospel accounts are are full of of accounts of his tempting and his suffering. Think with me for a moment uh, of a few of them. Uh, Think about comfort. When, When Satan encouraged Jesus to make bread out of the stones to relieve his hunger, the gospel accounts tell us that Jesus was tempted by pride. When Satan suggested that Jesus put God to the test by jumping from the temple to be rescued by angels. The gospels tell us that Jesus was tempted by wealth And fame and power. Think about when Jesus or when Satan promised Jesus all the all the power, all the kingdoms in the world in exchange for his worship. And then if you think more broadly, if you think about not just his temptations but his sufferings, think about his trials, you know, this list could go on and on. Jesus was looked down upon by the religious elite, he he was misunderstood by those in power. He experienced pain in his body. He experienced isolation and loneliness. He experienced the sting of fractured relationships. He experienced just the utter devastation of seeing a friend die. And he experienced utter humiliation and degradation as he was crucified. Certainly not a a comprehensive list, but I hope it gives us a good snapshot of Jesus' life. When you, when you really take a step back, when you consider all of Jesus' life, you come to realize just how profoundly exposed he was. He didn't come to, to hide out in a, in a castle or a palace. He didn't use his power to shield himself from the ache of this world. Really quite the opposite. His life seemed to be defined by suffering and weakness and hardship. Isaiah 53, uh, in foretelling uh, of the coming Messiah, summarizes Jesus' life well. There it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was defined by sorrow. He was no stranger to the sadness and the grief of this world. So going back to the, the initial question I posed, what was Jesus' temptation like? I think the, the simple answer from Hebrews 4 is that Jesus' temptation was like mine, it was like yours, it was like every human being who's ever existed. But at this point, um, if you're anything like me, if you have a heart like mine, that simple of an answer leaves you squirming a bit. Right? I am, I am so ready, I am so prone to put up guardrails around Jesus' humanity. Like, you know, yes, Jesus experienced temptation. Yes, I'll give you that he experienced some trials, but but let's not go too far. Let's let's not kid ourselves, right? He he walked on water. He was God. And surely that helps a bit as you're experiencing some adversity in life. And I think the, the underlying question here, as my... Sort of gut reaction pushes back against Christ's humanity is, is this? It's how can how can Jesus be both fully human and fully God? Wouldn't Jesus's divine strength and power and wisdom take something away from his his humanness and his frailty? How, how can those two things coexist? And it's you know. It's an age-old question, right? This tension just hasn't existed in my heart or your heart, but it's it's been around in the church for 2,000 years, and um, I'm not going to set out in the next 20 minutes to offer any sort of uh, conclusive or definitive answer to understand that tension, but but I wanted to offer up just a, a couple of thoughts. So, you know, if you're like me and you struggle with this idea of Jesus' humanity and his divinity, here here two things to keep in mind. The first thing I would say is that, um, as Christians, we need, we need guardrails in both directions. It is possible to fixate so much on Jesus' humanity that you lose his divinity, but the reverse is also very true. It's also possible to focus so much on Jesus' divine life that you lose something of his human experience. Church history is full of Uh, heresies in both directions. That's why if you've ever um, paid close attention, the the creeds that we read for our confession of faith always are are cautious to push hard in both directions. I was just noticing in our, our creed today, right? Nicene Creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, true God, from true God, and yet also he became incarnate. He was made human. He suffered. Always pressing it in both directions. Fully God, fully man. So for, that's the first thing to keep in mind. We need guardrails in both directions. The, the second thing to consider, and I think this is, this is really significant, and if you, know, you take away one thing from today, I, I think this should be it. Um, it's that there are dimensions of Christ's love for you that you will miss out on entirely if you minimize his human experience. If you only think of Christ as Lord, if you only think of Jesus as King, if your only sort of conception of Jesus is his power and his authority and his might, there are dimensions of his love for you that you're going to miss out on. And I'll get into this more in a moment as we consider the implications of Hebrews 4 for us. But, but for now, just suffice it to say, is that um, Christ's humanness—it's not a, a secondary theological matter. It's part of His very essence. It's who He is, and it's a—it's a profound mystery. His Him being fully God and fully man, and it sort of boggles our minds. But it's a tension and a reality we have to be cautious not to not to discard, and not to move on from. Uh, Christopher uh, Walkin, a, a theologian and professor from Australia, uh, came out with a, a great new book earlier this year. It's called Biblical Critical Theory. And in that book, he's got this fantastic little chapter on the Incarnation. And I, I got a quote here. It's, it's a little bit longer in nature, but I think it, it so captures what I'm trying to articulate here this morning. He writes this. He says that when considering the Incarnation, there is a temptation for the church to unbalance Jesus's being. Either affirming Jesus' humanity at the expense of his deity or stressing his deity such that we lose his humanity. The Jesus who is more divine than human is an authoritative figure who may well command our worship, but who remains remote and perhaps cold, affording none of his tender intimacy. The Jesus who is more human than divine, by contrast, sympathizes with our suffering but lacks the power or authority to do, to do much about any of it. The challenge is to keep both Christ's divinity and humanity red hot in our thinking and living. Just love that last sentence there. The challenge for the church is to keep both Christ's divinity and his humanity red hot in our thinking and living. I think he's, he's spot on there. I think he's exactly right. We have to be cautious to keep both, and, and we're going to lose something. It's to our peril if we don't worship and follow the whole Christ. So, I know that those um, couple of thoughts, those five minutes or so, probably don't explain the entirety of uh, the complexity of Christ's nature, but hopefully they give you some food for thought, and hopefully they do justice to the whole picture of Christ that we see in Scripture. Getting back to the, the initial question I asked what was Jesus' temptation like? I think theological uh, conundrums aside, the, the answer from Hebrews 4 is, is fairly straightforward. In Christ's incarnation, Jesus experienced every possible human temptation and trial. In every respect, he was tempted as we are. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. So that, that was the first question. Second question I want to consider this morning is, is why, does, why does all this matter? What difference does Christ's temptation 2,000 years ago make for our lives today? I think in our text today, I see three, three answers to that question. Three implications of Christ's temptation for our lives today. One is, is more theological in nature, and then the other two are a bit more practical. Let's start with the, the theological implication. It's this. It's that the reason that Jesus' temptation matters... Is because Jesus' temptation makes him an excellent high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 refers to Jesus as a great high priest. Chapter 5 says that that he can deal gently with us. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. What makes him a great high priest? How is he able to deal with us gently? Because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. The the term high priest may be uh, unfamiliar to us. It's not really terminology that we use in our everyday lives, but I think that the concept here is is something we can relate with. In many different aspects of our lives, we benefit greatly from having a representative, somebody going before us. When we uh, go to buy or sell a home, it it helps a great deal to have a realtor, uh, especially if that realtor is good at their job, Uh, for part of a, a union at work, We have a representative working on our behalf in in contract negotiations. If we're ever caught up in a a traffic accident, our insurance agent, our claims representative is able to sort of sort through the policies, sort through the logistics, and help settle the dispute. In all of these different areas, we have somebody representing us, somebody going before us, somebody working on our behalf. And that's what Hebrews 4 is telling us about Jesus as our high priest— in Christ, we have a, a representative before God. Romans 8 says that, that Christ is currently interceding for us. First John says that Christ is advocating with the Father on our behalf. And the thing that makes Jesus such a great advocate, such a good intercessor, such a good representative, is that He is both God and man. In His humanity... Jesus gets us. He understands us. He knows our weaknesses and our temptations and our trials. He doesn't, he doesn't brush those aside. But in his deity, Jesus shares in the divine nature. He is near to the Father, as close to the Father as you can get. And he can go on representing us forever. Commenting on this verse, uh, Michael Kruger, a seminary professor out in North Carolina, says this. He says that we need a high priest who can enter heaven and who has been to earth. We need a high priest who can enter heaven and who has been to earth. I agree with that. I think we we need a representative. We need an advocate who knows the, the ache of our human experience, yet also knows intimacy with God in the heavens. And right, there's only one person that fits that job description. Only one person knows what it is to experience the the innermost realities of both God and man, and it's Jesus. He's our advocate. He's our representative. He's our high priest in in heaven who understands us to the core. So that's the first implication. Jesus is our great high priest. The second uh, implication I see in our passage today for for why all this matters for us is, is this. It's that Christ's temptation can be a powerful encouragement when we're tempted to give up. Christ's temptation can be a powerful encouragement when we're tempted to give up. Look back at the end of of verse 14. Because we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. The original audience for, for the book of Hebrews were Jewish Christians, and they were tempted to, to return to former ways of living. They were tempted to return to former ways of interacting with God. The, the suffering and the hardship and the persecution they were experiencing as new Christians was leading them to, to question their faith. You know, they were asking questions like, is Jesus really Lord? Is he really an effective high priest? Is he really able to atone for our sins? Maybe maybe the Old Testament structures we had were were a bit better. Their circumstances were calling into question their confession. And the, the author of Hebrews here, and I think this is insightful, he responds to their doubts and their questions not by pointing to, to Jesus' authority primarily, but by pointing to his weakness, by pointing to his temptation. The author is saying, hold fast to your confession. Don't move off of Christ as your high priest. Remember that he was tempted. Remember that he was tested. Remember in every way he experienced trials as we do. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. In his uh, book on Advent, Tim Keller writes this. He says that the incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us suffer, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain, all for us, and thought it well worth his while. This this truth of, of Christ's solidarity with us, it is, it is such a precious thing to those that are suffering. It doesn't answer all of our questions. It doesn't appease all of our doubts. But it does give us an assurance of the heart of God toward us in those sufferings. He knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. He knows our grief because He has experienced it Himself. And that reality, at times, gives us just what we need for the courage not to give up, to not lose heart, to hold fast to our confession. Our, our circumstances and our natural inclination may lead us to believe that, that God doesn't care, that he's moved on to bigger and better things, but, but Scripture says no, that's, that's not true. Hebrews 4 is telling us here that, that his heart is warm toward us in our sorrow. He can help those who are, are tempted and tested because he himself was tempted and tested. So that was implication number two. A third and final implication in our passage today for for why the Incarnation matters, for why Jesus' temptation matters, is to go to Him with your need. Go to Him with your need. Here I'm drawing from, from verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Imagine with me for a moment that you had uh, the world's uh, greatest friend. Someone who was full of amazing advice. Somebody who was just an incredible listener. Someone who was already always uh, immediately responsive when you reached out. Somebody who was attentive and knew every facet of your life. Imagine you had that type of friend. And with that type of friend at the ready in your corner, ready to help, what would your natural response be when you ran into trouble? What would you do when it felt like the, the world was kind of falling in around you? I think the answer is, is simple. You would ask that friend for help, right? Maybe it's not the only thing you would do, but, but you'd be crazy not to utilize that type of friend when you had real needs in your life. Hebrews 4 is telling us that, that this friend is exactly who we have in Jesus, our high priest. His uh, humanity, his solidarity with us, should compel us over and over and over again to bring our needs before him. Dane Dan Orland writes in his book, Gentle and Lowly, that if you are in Christ, you have a friend who, in your sorrow, will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. If you're like me, you can treat these types of prayers. Prayers where you're bringing real need, real vulnerability to the Lord as sort of a a Hail Mary. Right? Like, we're down a touchdown, late in the game, 80 yards to go. Might as well well throw it up. It's, It's worth a shot. That's not at all what Hebrews is saying here. That's not what Hebrews has in mind. Our our needy prayers are prayers that reveal real weakness, real vulnerability. They aren't a Hail Mary or a last resort. They're actually the most sensible thing for us to do. Hebrews tells us that because Jesus has walked the same path we walked, he is a faithful high priest. And because he's a faithful high priest, we can turn to him when we need help. Not as a a shot in the dark, not as a Hail Mary, but as a confident plea to the one who will always extend us mercy and grace. Do you have real needs in your life today? Then bring them to Jesus with confidence. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. And he will see to it that you get the help you need. That's that's implication number three. And as I wrap up this morning, I wanted to share uh, one of my favorite uh, Advent illustrations. First heard this from Tim Keller a few years ago, and I just, I think about it each time, or each year around this time, and I think it helps capture um, kind of what we're talking about this morning. Keller shared that um, Dorothy Sayers was uh, an English poet and a novelist in the early 1900s. And uh, she wrote this series of famous crime mysteries that revolve around a character named Peter Whimsey. And in this ser- series of uh, mysteries, uh, Peter Whimsey is uh, hes a gifted detective. He's kind of an intriguing character. But he's also just hopelessly lonely and uh, kind of increasingly troubled as a character as the series goes along. And just as this character, just as Peter Whimsey Is hitting rock bottom in the story, Uh, Dorothy Sayers uh, does something really unorthodox as an author. She she writes herself into the narrative. She writes herself into the story. Uh, This character named Harriet Vane uh, bursts on the scene, who just like Dorothy Sayers was educated at Oxford, just like Sayers was a successful mystery writer. And this character, uh, Harriet Vane, ends up marrying Peter Wimsey in the story and kind of saves him from his downward spiral. And you know, it's a quirky series. It's kind of an unusual twist uh, for an author to insert herself like that. But uh, it's not too dissimilar from the Christmas story, is it? In this Advent season as Christians, we glory in the reality that Christ has written himself into our stories. Just as Dorothy Sayers Uh, looked upon the, the, the misery and the pain of this character, of this person she had created, and decided to step into the story, Christ looked upon our helpless state, looked upon our pain and our misery and our suffering, and he couldn't help but save us. He couldn't help but courageously write himself into the story of this broken world. Friends, in all your trials... In all your pain, in all your suffering, Jesus was born to be your friend. Jesus knows your need and to your weakness, he is no stranger. Encourage you this Christmas season to behold your king. Behold your high priest. Don't lose heart. Go to him with your need. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, Thank you for passages like this that that point us to Jesus' humanity, to his solidarity with us. Thank you that that we have a high priest. Thank you that we have a representative before us, somebody who knows our pain and our suffering and our weaknesses, and yet doesn't leave us there. Lord, I pray that um, as we engage in sort of uh, Advent traditions, you would you would help us with fresh eyes and fresh perspective to to really grasp the significance of Christ writing himself into our story, of bearing with us, of being uh, one of us. Pray this all in, in Christ's precious name. Amen.